At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Welcome to Infertility and Me podcast, a show that amplifies diverse stories about the struggles of infertility and fertility in a safe space. Our goal is to normalize fertility stories that validate, give hope, and create a community where no one is left silently suffering. Welcome, welcome, welcome you guys to another episode of Infertility and Me podcast. It's your girl, your fertility bestie, Monique Farouk, IVF mom to one. Thank you guys for being here. Thank you for letting me be a part of your day. Don't forget to follow on Instagram, you guys, and also join the free community chat on Discord. The link is in today's show notes if you're looking for support outside of social media and or whatever. If you're looking for support, you're looking for community, connect with me on the Discord chat. But today's guest is named Meg Faith. Meg suffers from endomyosis, which is very similar to endometriosis and she also has an endometriosis diagnosis as well. So for those who may not know, the difference between the endometriosis and the endomyosis, endometrial tissue grows into the muscle of the uterus, whereas in endometriosis, the endometrial tissue grows outside of the uterus and may involve the ovaries, fallopian tubes, pelvic walls, in bowels is which she tells us about today and how she got diagnosed for that and it has a lot to do with her speaking up and standing up for herself so once she got her diagnosis her and her husband were able to move on with better protocols today meg also shares with us why it's important for us to stand up for ourselves and why it's more important now than ever advocate for yourself and the pain that you feel within your body before it becomes too late and she also advocated for herself to get further testing for reoccurrent miscarriages and she states in this episode that she kind of wished that she had had the biopsy of her uterus done after the first time she had a miscarriage like most of us we don't know there's an issue until there's an issue which meg also states in this episode so today friends you can expect to feel validation and empowered along your trying to conceive journey and or however your path to parenthood is looking with or without a spouse. Meg is still herself also in the throes, in the thick of trying to conceive. And you can connect with Meg online on Instagram through her community for moms and dads of loss called four underscore the underscore barrenness and get the support that you need if you've also suffered reoccurring miscarriages and loss or just loss in general and so we'll be back you guys in just a second with meg and we're back you guys with our girl meg on the show so thank you girl for coming on the show meg and just giving us your time and being willing to share publicly as well 
Absolutely. I'm really, really grateful to be here. So Meg, let's start at the beginning. How did you and Hummy meet, girl? How did you, how did you guys hook up? Oh gosh, a classic boy meets girl at the bar kind of, <laughs> kind of story. I, uh, I was in graduate school in Chicago. So I was bartending while I was in graduate school. And my now husband came in for midday uh, Jameson shots. So <laughs> yeah, so we met there and we dated in Chicago for a few years before moving out to the Bay Area in 2013. And we've been together about 12 years, married for a little over three. Wow. You guys have seen everything together. Wow. <laughs> You've guys been through a lot, recessions and everything. Oh, yeah. man. That's a blessing, though, to be able to be with that someone for that long. It doesn't seem like anyone's staying together that long. It's yeah, I do thing. feel like we've been, we've been tested for sure. So how long had you guys been together before you started trying to conceive? How long um, had that been? We've been together nine or 10 years. We started uh, pretty soon after we got married. So about, you know, a little less than three years ago. Always knew we wanted to have a family. Always knew we wanted children. And I think that was, I think that was really important because at one point I, you know, was going through some gynecological issues not related to trying infertility and I had a doctor that asked me you know when we'd only been dating a few years she said well how badly do you and your partner want kids and I just thought that was such a good question to ask us because you know we always kind of said in passing yeah we'll have kids but we never really thought about how badly we might want kids uh, so we we already knew that it was a goal we were going to work toward together before we started trying which I believe really helped us to have that shared goal. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. You got to be on the same page. It's like being equally yoked, right? Like Yeah, being... yeah both, you both really have to want it. You really do. You really do. You really, really do. So then did you see a reproductive endocrinologist straight away? No. Because of the previous medical issue? Or did you kind of ease into it and try at home first? Tried at home first. You know, really, there was no reason to believe yet that we would have any trouble having having a baby naturally. So I think a lot of couples do this. We, we say, uh, well, we're not trying not to get pregnant. You know, <laughs> you don't quite admit yet you're trying to get pregnant because that's very scary. So we started with the, well, we're, we're no longer trying to prevent it. And then when that didn't work for a while was when you started having to admit to yourselves like, oh, we have to, we have to switch to trying now. We have to really think about it now. So it was, it was a few years later that we really realized we were in the trying part of things and it wasn't happening. We don't have those inclinations or we don't. Yeah. I mean, you don't know those things until you need to know those things. I didn't get diagnoses until after we'd been trying for a while. And, and I, I think that it's so hard when people didn't say like, well, you know, why didn't you start trying sooner? But the time you start trying is the perfect time for you, for your life. That's, you know, that was the perfect age for us, we we were at a really good place to start trying. So there was no reason to start trying any sooner. We would have been in a shoebox apartment and still working on our jobs, and it just wouldn't have made sense then. So yeah, so we didn't try until it, it really made sense to try. Did you have any underlying conditions that you knew about ahead of time? None that I knew about ahead of time, although I, you know, I'd been saying since my very first menstrual cycle that something was too painful. It was too much. And yeah, I think like a lot of people, I had doctors that would say like, yeah, well, periods are painful and, you know, try birth control. And 
there's a little bit of validation now that I have been diagnosed with adenomyosis and, and endometriosis, a little bit of validation, a little bit of like, I wasn't just being weak. I was really in pain. There was something going on there. So I, I know those things now, but I didn't know it until until we started seeing specialists. This is such a common theme, this endometriosis and being passed along by doctors and saying that it's normal to have these painful periods when in fact it's not like it's mm-hmm. you are with the exception of certain diseases and such you it is possible to get your cycle without even you know how you get that feeling like you know your cycles on the way mm-hmm. like oh I feel it coming girl or you're telling your spouse <laughs> I feel it coming I or it's just like for me sometimes it's even a certain smell mm-hmm. that my body changes in my discharge and I can I just know my cycles on the way, you know? So those small inclinations that we as women, naturally born women, would know when this time of the month comes on. And so this common theme of being dismissed is getting more and more prevalent, I feel like. Mm -hmm. And it's out of freaking control, Mm -hmm. especially with this kind of technology that we have that's non-invasive, like having fibroids removed in a Mm non-invasive way and recovering at home instead of in the... Yeah. You know, a medical facility for an extended period. Like I watched my mom go through that with fibroids. Mm-hmm. So I don't I just don't get why we're still having this issue with the dismissive nature of Gosh, I I completely agree. I I can't believe now that I'm in this community, this fertility and pregnancy loss community, how many people have said the same story that they knew something wasn't right, that didn't feel right, but nobody listened. And then it often got masked with something like birth control pills. And and, and then it's not until you know that you have infertility as a, as a symptom that you start looking into it. It's really frustrating. It does feel mm-hmm. a little bit like our value as as people to doctors often doesn't come up until we're trying to have a kid or you end up in a hospital like laid in the bed because you can't move you know or something even worse sometimes where people are debilitated physically Mm. and so yeah it's a it's a major major issue and this is why we here because maybe hopefully someday somebody will pick up on this episode yeah something about it if you don't have the ability and resources out there in the interwebs and the airwaves of streaming, <laughs> you know? So you got the endometrius di- diagnosis. And so there was there a protocol that you had to get through in uh, getting control of it? Did yeah. you have the lap- laparoscopic procedure you know, done I'm, and all? I'm still in the process in a lot of ways. Um, and, it, and there's still a lot of questions too, which can be frustrating. So, uh, you know, I have some cysts and we, we'll take care of those and then go back in the next month and see like, okay, is it still cleared? Is it still good to go? Still some understanding from a lot of doctors that my pregnancy losses aren't necessarily because the endometriosis. And that can be really frustrating, I think, in this community too, because there's a lot of guesswork and trial and error. And it seems like they might be able to say like, yes, you have this condition, but we can't guarantee that's the cause. That's the reason. So we will address it and we keep doing what we need to do to address it. But it doesn't, it doesn't necessarily mean like, great, this is done. And next month we're good to go. And pregnancy is now imminent. That's just unfortunately not the way it seems to be working. When was the first loss? How long had you guys been trying at that point? You know, it felt like a long time then. And now I realize it probably wasn't even, it was about six, seven months before we got pregnant the first time. And 
that was such a hopeful pregnancy. You know, we we thought, okay, we it took us a little longer than others, but we're here. And that was the pregnancy you went into where you're immediately joining the apps and buying the books and, you know, taking photos of my stomach that hadn't even changed yet, just for the sake of taking them. And uh, a lot of hope in that one. But I, I, you know, that one ended up being a missed miscarriage. So it went longer than you know, then was growing. And so that was really hard because there were those weeks that you still thought things were good and they weren't necessarily. I realize now how common missed miscarriages are as well. That was not the, honestly, the only experience I really understood in miscarriages was what you see in the movies where it's this big scene, this big to do. And suddenly there's all this blood and that just wasn't, that wasn't my case for that one. And I don't think that's the case for a lot of people. At a first loss, the doctor's still are very much in the same way. They're like, well, it happens. And a lot of people miscarry, so Mm -hmm. go back and try again. And so we didn't do any tests and we weren't even eligible for tests. And then when we got pregnant again and lost that one, I asked for tests, you know, I asked to understand what was going on. Still, you know, still they said, well, you either have to be a certain age or trying for a certain amount of time or have three losses. You know, there's all these parameters around it frustrating because you know something's wrong. You know this isn't working. So it wasn't until the third miscarriage that I learned this is what they mean when they say advocate for yourself. And I didn't leave the clinic without saying, what tests can we do? What is this? And this was also the first time I stopped looking at pregnancy as, okay, I'm pregnant. Now let's think about pregnancy. But I started looking at it as let's try to understand what could be wrong with me that they're not staying. So I went to that appointment a little more equipped, a little more, you know, self-taught and having more resources from people online and was able to ask, start asking for tests. And that was a really big turning point for us. Just being able to ask for, you know, ask for tests and say, don't send me home and say, try this again. I'm, I'm not trying it again. I'm not going through this again. What something's wrong. Something's going on. That's wrong. Let's figure it out. And that's when we finally got some specialists and got some tests. And I feel like started getting taken a little seriously. So what did those tests and things that you guys went through, what did they reveal? The, at first, nothing, which is really frustrating. It's really, you know, you don't want something to be wrong with you, but you do want an answer. You do want to know what's going on. So the blood work didn't reveal much of anything. My ovarian reserve was borderline, but no reason to believe that I shouldn't be able to carry a pregnancy. It was actually in the first saline ultrasound, which is where they can see a lot more when they do the saline ultrasound, that we were able to see what they thought at first was, I'll never forget it, I'm I'm in the clinic and this doctor who I'd never met before, this older male doctor, he said, and he's doing the ultrasound in the moment, so I'm in the stirrups, and he looks at me and he goes, looks me in the eyes, which is always weird when you're in the stirrups, and he goes, I'm retiring in a week, and I've never seen one of these. <laughs> that's not what you want to hear. (laughs) So he brought in, you know, some other doctors for second opinions. What he thought he was seeing was a a unicorn at uterus. So I got an MRI then. And it was through the MRI that we saw it wasn't unicorn it, but it was abnormal shaped and malarian abnormality. And they saw the endometriosis. and, And that's when we at least got some answers. We at least got to see it's not me. It's not you know, it is me, but it's it's not anything I'm doing. It's something structural. So now we could make a plan. Now we could think about what we do next. And I do love a plan. Mm-hmm. 
Yes, don't we all? We have to have it. Okay, this is why we've been so proactive this whole time. Yeah. I just kudos to you for not taking the first doctor seriously and just going back home and continuing to try again and not seeking and digging deeper. So kudos to you because a lot of women just keep with it until it becomes number five and plus without any digging yeah. deeper. I'm I'm so glad you you yeah, found out much sooner than it than would have otherwise. And so got my answer. Somebody told me something yeah. that I could digest. And I think like you were saying, that's yes. what we're always looking for. It may suck what the answer is, but at least now you know. And it can be there's a protocol exactly. for it to work with it and around it and yeah, all those absolutely. great things. And so did you have more losses yeah. after the second one, after all of this is found out? Yeah, so none from naturally trying, but we did have a failed frozen embryo transfer. You know, that one hit me in a very different way, more in anger than sadness, I think, because we did finally get information and it was finally in the hands of science. You know, I was like, we did all the medicine. We I cut out gluten and dairy and we're taking the supplements and I'm doing the acupuncture and I'm in appointments all the time. And so we were, you know, I think that you, you're optimistic, you're cautiously optimistic, but there was no reason for me to believe that this now wouldn't work because we did everything we were supposed to do and we learned what was wrong. So what's really frustrating again is the science is only so far as to say, we don't know why some transfers don't take. And, you know, they only work half the time and you could just fall on the wrong side of data. So, so even though that wasn't a natural pregnancy attempt and that wasn't uh, a miscarriage, it, it felt the loss of that embryo felt really hard because it was very hard to make that embryo. You know, it worked very, very hard to, to make that. Yes. And a couple of procedures yeah. to get to that point. So that's why I understand why, especially that you felt angry. Because instead of feeling grief this time, you were like, God dang it, I was right here on the cusp of it all, yes. you know, and that's yeah. how it feels. It's I think sometimes that feeling is worse than the grief because it's much mm -hmm. easier to hang on to anger and to be angry. It's easy. It's one of the, mm. it's one of the easiest emotions to do and be and sit in. That's so true. That's, that's so spot on. And I think it's, it's a a lot less isolating of a feeling, you know, grief, you deal with very alone, uh, at least I had, you know, and at least I was doing that. Whereas anger, well, that was going out to other people too. You know, <laughs> like that was, I was definitely external as well. So it's hard in, in that way also. Absolutely. So what happens next in you guys' process? Did you jump right back into trying through IVF again, or did you wait? I am very much like, I want to keep moving. Something that's been really hard for me is is age, is getting older, is, is not necessarily my getting older, but time passing. Watching time passing, you know, seeing people in my life have their second child in the time since we've started trying and watching their children get older. And I love their children, but it is hard to watch them hit these milestones and know, you know, if my first pregnancy worked the way it was supposed to, here's what our life would look like now. And so I, I would love, you know, I would love to jump right back into it. My doctor encouraged a rest month. And now we are doing what's called a mock transfer with a 
an ERA and a receptiva. So it's it's more tests. It's basically pretending we're going to do a transfer, but instead they'll take a biopsy and they'll try to understand what is the exact perfect window of the amount of progesterone you need to transfer. And it'll test the endometriosis to make sure I don't need a different, a Lupron, a different medication. I'm very glad we're doing this because my doctor did say, okay, we can transfer again next month with a new protocol. And now I'm really learned in all of this, how to advocate for myself better. And I think the, the hard thing with advocating for yourself is you have to know what to advocate for. And so you have to do research and you have to talk to other people who've been through this. And, you know, because of this, really wonderful infertility community of people that support each other. I posted on my, you know, Instagram that I share this stuff with, I posted like, did you have a failed transfer? What did you do? And I got so many responses on test for this, check for that. Here's what might've been wrong. And so I brought those to my doctor and could say, before we risk another embryo, cause I don't have that many, let's check these things first. And so because I could do that, she said, yeah, we can we can do those tests. Normally, they wait for a few failed transfers, but I advocated. I didn't want to wait for a few more failed transfers. I wanted to do it now, just like I wish I didn't wait for those few miscarriages. I wish I tested at the first. Now I'm I'm doing a much better job of saying, "Nope, we're going to we're going to test now. That's what I would like." Yeah, so we're going to do these tests and then hopefully we'll we'll get another transfer once we learn something else, anything else. <laughs> It's so much trial and error, you know, they, they definitely don't, uh, don't let you on to how much is trial and error when you start this journey. And we don't think about it either, because again, we are born to believe that this won't be a difficult time in my life. You know, like surely this, yeah. <laughs> this is easy. Okay. We've been together all these years anyway. Yeah. Okay, I know his body part inside and out. Okay. Yeah. He knows mine. So this should be <laughs> the easiest part of it our should, marriage, it right? Be the simplest thing. <laughs> and the funnest. Yes. <laughs> but it should be. Yeah. And it's funny how you you do keep the, you know, I think that a reason people also wait so long to go see a doctor, to go check on things is because you do keep telling yourself, well, maybe next month. Well, maybe next month. Well, maybe, you know, and it's, and then you look back and you say, whoa, has it been that many months? Okay. Maybe we should, maybe we should look into this. So when are you supposed to have these next steps yeah. of tests done? Are you going to get that done this summer? Or are you going to wait till the fall? Uh, this summer, this summer. Yeah. So we're uh, doing the injections right now that will let us do this biopsy. My ideal time for another transfer would be July. If we didn't have to do, if they don't have to do anything else to the endometriosis, we should be able to do a transfer in July, which, which would be great. You know, like I said, the time passing is really hard. I always am having to find that balance with my doctors of, I really want to move quickly and they know as well, sometimes your body does need these breaks. Sometimes to give it the best possible chance, we need to move slowly. So it's finding that balance. What's one or two ways that you would suggest or that you have used in your own personal life to combat that balance? How are you finding balance mm. these days? Gosh, I should get better at it. I, uh, I'm i very type A. I, I like to plan. And so... I've got binders of infertility information and tests you can do and all my medical history. And I think that it grounds me to go back to that information and try to understand what they're doing and try to understand, you know, if my doctor says in a quick call, your body needs a rest period, then we'll end the call. But I'll be thinking, what does that even mean? 
So I spend some time learning and I understand, oh, okay, so this is how long it takes for this hormone to leave your body. And this is how long it takes for, you know, your lining to recover or for these processes to work. So for me, it helps to, to gain a further understanding of why we're doing the steps that we're doing. And I feel like I have a little more control over that as well. For the first time these last few months, I'm, you know, I'm realizing that we've been doing this for a few years and I have to stop saying it might be next month because that's just not the reality. But I also have to keep having a life continue, you know, especially now that the pandemic's made it a little bit safer to, to do so, trying to have date nights with my husband and enjoy spending time with friends and started prioritizing what I feel pride in, like my job. And, you know, how can I get back to not saying I can't take on this new project, but saying, yeah, I'll take on that project. And look, if I need to pause it in a few months, I can pause it in a few months. But right now I have the space to do that. That's been helpful for me. It's both a little bit of controlling the medical, but then also reminding myself that there is there is more to me than infertility. It doesn't always feel that way, you know, but there there is. There's so much more to all of us than just this part of our life. So trying to say each day, what's something I can do that's not anything to do with infertility? Love that. I love that. Yes. <laughs> I love that that part that you said at the very beginning of your last statement about infertility is not all of me. It's just a part of me. And I think we all could use that reminder yeah. today and every day. And unfortunately, like mm. we've been saying this whole entire episode, that Aunt Flo continuously reminds us every month that <laughs> indeed we do have an issue, okay? <laughs> but yes, yes. <laughs> this fall, this is what we're going to do. This is what we're going to do, just focusing yeah. on who we are outside of it as much as possible. Love it. Love those reminders. And Meg, you have also online community for moms and dads of mm-hmm. loss. And so tell us about when that started and what gave you the the push to be of support and others yeah. when you yourself needed so, so, so much support. Gosh, I love how selfless you make it sound because it was pretty selfish reasons I started. It. Uh, so I started a, a website called forthebareness.com and an Instagram handle at the same name. And I really started it because I have never felt so lonely before as I was feeling when dealing with these losses. I could be sitting in a room surrounded with friends and just feel completely isolated and alone because there's no way to explain what it feels like to be constantly thinking about your fertility and to be grieving something that no one could ever see. This is a very unique grief because you're grieving a life that never got to live. And so I just didn't feel like I had people around me that could understand. But I also, at the same time, felt like I constantly wanted to talk about it. I constantly wanted to just connect to people. So uh, I like to write. And I thought that we could create a space where other people could just write what their story was, what their journey was, and put it on this blog and read others and see, you know, it's I'm not the only one who feels jealous or angry or sad and feels all of those three things within an hour sometimes. Um, and then the Instagram was really just to connect to people. I really wanted to connect to other people who are going through this. And it has just done that tenfold. I have not only connected to people, I've gotten tips from them. I've learned from them. I have been able to uh, 
find out what doctors people are seeing in my area and get advice on that. I, you know, what I often post are memes, our quotes, are you know, things that are a little bit sillier, not because I think there's anything funny about infertility whatsoever, but it helps to have a little bit of a light space. And I think what works about it is most of them are things where when you're going through infertility, you're the only one who might get that joke. You know, I try to think of what's a joke that only someone going through this would get. And then we kind of have these inside jokes, which I <laughs> I can appreciate. It's, you know, people who have children, especially people who have children easily, they have, they're like in their own mom's club and you often feel left out of the mom's club. So I just wanted to create a club for us to feel connected to, to have our own little inside joke. I'm so glad that more communities like yours are doing the more lighthearted thing. Because when I first joined Instagram in the community, and this was after I had my son and everything, and going into podcasting, and it wasn't as much lightheartedness. I think the only person I had ever saw with any lighthearted humor was like hilariously infertile. Um, I forget her first name, but I know her last name is Jeffries, because that's my maiden name. And so <laughs> I think she was like the only one who was doing it at the time, bringing light and levity to infertility and I'm just so glad that more people are doing it in their own way their own style and just finding ways where we can all just laugh at this bs cackle a little bit cackle and And cry at the same time (laughs) it's great and and you really do have to because there are these moments that do feel a bit ridiculous like when you're driving 80 miles per hour because your husband has to get his sperm sample that's sitting between his legs to keep warm to the clinic within an hour. Like, how do you not laugh at that? You know, like there are moments like that, that uh, they're just too ridiculous to not laugh a little bit. Absolutely. Absolutely. So thank you, Meg. Appreciate you this evening Mm -hmm. sharing where you guys are while you're still in the throes and woes and waters of infertility. It is not easy to talk about it when you're still there and right in front and center with it. And so I appreciate you for giving us your time and also giving us some ways in which we can do better and be better while going through this thing called infertility. Thank you so much. I have really enjoyed chatting with you. I, I love your podcast. I love your Instagram. And it's it's nice to chat with people who, who get it and, and, you know, celebrate everyone who's just really getting through every day. Yes, and chatting and getting together about this thing is uh, very important right now because there's a whole lot of other things going on in the world and sometimes we lead a little bit of a distraction even if it's for sucky reasons, you know, and getting that validation that we need. So again, I love what you are doing in the community for loss and miscarriage because that also is another very taboo aspect of fertility and reproductive uh, as a whole. And... Mm -hmm. We can't, we can't go wrong if we all just stick together and see each other through this thing. And so thank you, friends, for tuning in to another episode of Infertility Emmy Podcast. You guys know where to find me. Peace and blessings. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. 
To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.